You're tuning into the Active Mom Podcast with physical therapist, Dr. Carrie Pagliano, a real mom's guide to all things postpartum return to workouts after baby. If you're a postpartum mom, coach, trainer, or physical therapist looking for answers on how to get back to running, CrossFit, yoga, Pilates, HIIT, you name it without the fear of pelvic floor issues or doing something wrong, this is the podcast for you. Let's start the show. All right. So our next guest, I have been quietly fangirling for a very, very long time. Um, I reached out to Chris Johnson. I cannot tell you how many years ago about just a lot of the stuff that he was doing in the running space. And I've learned so much and he's been so generous with his knowledge and enthusiasm. And I'm so excited to have Chris Johnson on the show. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. I'm glad we finally got this coordinated. I, uh, I, I know <laughs> we were talking before uh, hopping on. It's, it's been a busy time in the Johnson household. Yeah, you, you've moved, you've got new products, you've got exciting just life events and, and you know, just plain life, period. Um, I, I relate. When you've got a couple of kids in the household, that makes things exciting, too. <laughs> it does. I, I used to complain about not having enough time. And uh, I tell any of my friends who are um, single or without kids, I'm like, I never want to <laughs> Exactly. And you're a lot like me, like your, your work is kind of like your, your third kid. Um, Mm -hmm. And then if you have a pet, there's that other one too. But for you, like running has really been like a labor of love for you for a really long time. Like how did, where did that come from? And like, did you know in PT school, you're like, yeah, this is my jam. This is what I want to do. Not at all. Um, I mean, I I think that I was told when I was in my late Uh, teens that I would never run again following a knee injury. And uh, I was just mentioning this to a friend. I think that's when the journey began. And and running has always played a really important role for me in life from escaping my older brother who used to rough house with me when I was younger um, to running away from parties in high school because they're... And they're like, there goes Johnson, you know? And I just, I I always relied on running uh, for a variety of reasons, but it, it also gave me a huge advantage in sport. So when I was told that, hey, you have this knee issue, I had an OCD lesion or osteochondritis desiccans um, uh, involving my medial femoral condyle. And I thought that that was going to be it. And this yeah. news sort of brought to me at a, like, at a young point in my life. And, and I think that's ultimately what put me on the journey. Yeah, no, same here. I mean, I've I've run since um, middle school. And I I had FAI surgery, I guess was about 15 years ago. And I joke that I had it before, like it was cool with like A-Rod and Lady Gaga and that sort of thing. But the rehab was really crappy then. And um, ended up having surgery about a year and a half after my one and only marathon. And for me, it's always been something that was there. And I don't know, it's been really interesting kind of watching the the pathway getting back into postpartum because where I live in Arlington, I think, I, I don't know if we beat out Seattle, but we're one of the most active um, cities in the country. Like if you don't run, it's kind of weird around here. Um, and so there was a period of time where I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get back to doing this without like a, an hour of prep work. And that was pre-kids. So yeah. we throw a couple of kids in it. And, um, but no, it, it, it very much becomes this like, not escape, but like this part of who you are. Um, and it's, it's so cool when you can take that and kind of mash it up with what you do. Um, so for you, you work a lot with injury prevention, kind of, um, helping people, um, run and not make stupid mistakes and things like that. So, um, there's a lot of things in postpartum where I I think we, we go throwback on like what our high school coach taught us or, you know, just things from a long time ago and those mistakes kind of keep repeating themselves. So for you, like what are the the, the mistakes that like everyday runners make that we can kind of take and extrapolate forward and, and kind of have a conversation in the postpartum space? Yeah. Geez, where do we start? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think one of the, the big mistakes that people make, especially if, if they're new to running or they're getting back to running after an extended layoff is plugging straight into running. Yeah. Um, I get people walking frequently and, and, you know, it's sort of like newsflash, your running program is going to start with walking, you know? Um, 
And, and I think people feel like they're not accomplishing anything if they're walking. Meanwhile, it's a great way to get your heart rate up, especially if you're walking brisk, arms pumping. Um, and then that can slowly start to morph into a walk run um, and then continuous running. But even at very high levels, if you look at the Hawaii Ironman, which just took place, yes. a lot of the pros are walking the aid stations. You know, So yeah. I always tell people, don't feel defeated, right? Um, because I think that by stacking workouts, meaning like training consistently day in and day out, it's amazing how our bodies adapt. Um, but it also, by the same token, if you get derailed, and you have an overzealous session or something gets in the way of that consistency, you're not, you're not going to really uh, tap your potential. You know, and I, I, I talk to this, um, I speak to this a lot and discussing long runs, you know, any, anytime someone's mm -hmm. preparing or, or doing a marathon, they always, I just got a message this morning. Hey, do you think I need to do this 18 to 20 mile run? And I said, yeah, we're going to work you up to running a little bit longer in terms of duration. But by the same token, um, look at your collective body of work. You know, when we f first started right. working, you we were running two to three days a week. Now you're up to running five days a week. You're putting in measured efforts day in and day out. Compare that to that one long run that's going to take you a week to recover from and may risk getting you injured if, if you're not prepared for it or if you go in uh, go into that session in under recovered state um so I, I think the the code of running is simplicity and the advice and how we get people to to tap their running abilities needs to be simple too um but yeah there's a lot of misinformation out there yeah i it's it's funny with um uh with postpartum moms i i think there's a certain um, kind of time frame where it feels okay to walk because that's socially acceptable. But like, there's a certain time frame where like, all right, well, you should be running by now. Um, and fortunately, we've got some some guidance now a little bit from um, uh, you know Tom Goom and uh, Grundy Donnelly and, and Emma Brockwell. Um, and there's some more studies now just kind of starting to to put out the stuff. But I mean, I, I mean, your your experience being a dad too, like it's, do you see that social pressure of, okay, it's, it's six weeks, you're cleared. All right, let's go. And then the first thing people kind of want to do is like that couch to 5k, which maybe starts with a run minute, one minute walk and one minute run, which might be too much. Mm -hmm. um, I see that come up a lot where we have these ideas of, okay, I should hit this point and then I should be fine. When to your point, like that foundation needs to be set up for sure. Um you, you have a lot of, of educational posts on exercises and I, they're so creative and I love them. Where, where do you get one, where do you get the inspiration for these? And two, how do you kind of tell runners who just want to run? Like, this is where you, you need to interject this stuff. This is where it needs to come in and this is where it's going to pay off for you. Yeah. Great question. Well, I appreciate your, uh, your kind words. Um, I never went the PhD route and, you know, I, I think that, that surprised a lot of people because I was in Lynn Snyder Mackler's lab and undergrad. Oh yeah. Okay. So I was, I was around basically a bunch of PhDs, postdocs, and professors at Delaware. And, um, you know, but I, I've always been so just fascinated and I, I, I read the literature voraciously. I mean, I try to, it's just, it's dizzying how much gets published and it's, it's yeah. impossible to keep up with. You have to sort of zoom in on certain areas or topics, but um, I've just always been really fascinated with, uh, with movement. And I come from a multi-sport background and just constantly playing with movement. And I started doing this in front of a camera and I started realizing that I was learning a lot about my own movement and where yes. my was in space relative to where I thought it was. And I just started sharing this with the online community. And I, I'm very fortunate to have gotten into this. Uh, my timing was great. You know, I yeah. mentioned I sort of came, came up the ranks with Mike Reinhold. And, you know, we just oh, yeah. sort of ahead of the game. Yep. Um, and we've just been consistent over the years. So it, I like to just take an exercise and start playing with it and looking at it through just various angles. And, you know, the funny thing is when they publish studies on this, you know, it ends up supporting a lot of the things that I found over time. Not to say like I'm ahead of the research. I mean, that's silly. But, you know, 
I, I like to, to play with movement, read about what's being published on it and sort of reconcile things to, to sort yeah. of refine my understanding. Um, and I, I think it's, uh, it's really helpful when you go to prescribe exercises because I'm in the trenches with runners, triathletes, endurance athletes. Um, I can say, hey, look, let's have you do this drill. Here are some of the common mistakes that you know, people make. Here are some of the cues that I found helpful. And you learn to take one of these exercises and really customize it, whether you're going to yep. progress it, regress it, lateralize it, um, because you're always just trying to create a stimulus to bring about adaptation. So, um, and to me, you know, it's funny. I post all these videos, right? I probably use 10 exercises when I'm working with folks. Of and, course. And these are martial art forms to me. Like I... I really treat this is my, my father-in-law had me come to a Suzuki performance, which is like this, it's sort of like this slow tempo type movement. And um, I'm like, geez, this is exactly what I'm doing with runners. Uh. And the reason I throw a lot of these movements down is because when people are going, especially if we're talking about patient care, when you slow someone down, you get them to audit their movements, you know, and, and I think that's really important. And it also is mitigating threat. Like if you have someone come in, they're dealing with pain pathology and you're asking them to move really fast, it's probably not going to go over well, you know? Yeah. So you get to slow them down, force them to audit their movement, focus on smoothness, fluidity, directly loading through key regions, which is the biggest pitfall to most people's rehab and working with runners. Yeah. Can you, can you give an example above? Um, I think some people, when they think load, they're not quite sure. And, and that's used in a lot of different ways. What's, what's the context in which you're kind of talking about that? So if, if I'm talking about like directly loading through yep. a, a region. So if we take something like, you know, just a lateral step down assessment. Um, if I have someone do that, I want to see what their strategy is. If they're dealing with knee pain, they may sit into their hip a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But for them to run, they need to be able to directly load through the knee. Yeah, they can yep. focus on a little bit of a, a little bit more of a forward lean. We can do some things to um, to tweak their cadence. But you know, I know that uh, in most instances, and having been a patient myself, <laughs> multiple injuries and surgeries, that the rehab is not complete until you can directly load through that tissue or region. Yeah. Because people start developing these subtle compensations, it tend to snowball over time. Um, now, granted, there may be a point where someone can't load through that region, you know, right. and at that point, I'm okay with a compensation. Or if someone has like medial compartment NEOA, maybe that's a one case where we do try and promote more of a mid midfoot to forefoot strike. Mm -hmm. but generally, with someone who's young, healthy, that's rebounding we want them to be able to directly load. So uh, another great example, I had a fellow who um, kid consult me one time and uh, he was spinning his wheels. He was working with a trainer and this isn't to knock trainers. I have a lot of respect. There's some brilliant trainers out there, but um, he was doing a lot of bilateral exercises and he was mm -hmm. coming off of metatarsal fractures from a snowboarding accident. And um, he was constantly sort of shielding and he was, just working through alter, altered movement patterns to avoid loading his foot. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when we started working with him, I said, look, you know, your fractures are healed at this point. Can I watch you, uh, you know, do some pogo jumps? And he was like, no, like, I, I don't know if I'm confident doing that. Oh, wow. And, that, that was, and he was trying to get back to sprinting that spring track season. Yeah. And that's a great case. Like if he can't, do pogo jumps hopping on both legs that's a problem in a sprint you know where he's right. really putting a lot of load through that forefoot and the metatarsals um so that's what i mean like we have to prove that people can load through these regions um during the rehab process yeah that that fear piece i think is is so kind of relevant in the postpartum population there's um i just actually just got off with megan james she's part of the the study group with izzy moore that they were looking at um, what are determinants for moms to get back to running and fear was one of them and kind of we were chatting about you know because things do not feel the same at all <laughs> you know one kid two kid however many kids it doesn't feel the same and so you especially if you had you know a c-section or you had tearing or something like that you have a fear that what is inside is going to go outside 
Um, mm -hmm. And that can alter those, those movement patterns. But even if there's not pain, um, it's interesting this morning. Um, I was at a, it's, it's, it's CrossFit esque, but it's, it's not an affiliate. The gym that I go to, um, one of our owners, he was in coaching this morning and, um, we were doing box jumps and deadlifts or something like that. And afterwards he's like, Hey, so what's up with that right hip? And we hadn't really talked about it. And it was 15 years ago. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? He's like, you are not landing right. And that's where I always go back to video. And it's so humbling when you produce educational videos because you see all your own faults. <laughs> and I am not perfect. And I've got a lot of issues there, but it was so interesting. Unfortunately, he's got a really good eye and he's a great coach. Um, he was uh, an Olympic bobsledder for the Virgin Islands of all random things. Um, but yeah. to be able to look at movement and start to kind of pull it apart and I think if I had seen it independently, it would have been one thing, but like in my body and doing those quick kinds of motions, I wasn't able to kind of sense that at all. I was just trying to get through the workout. Um, so I think there's so much value to having an awareness while you're in it, but then also stepping back third person and kind of trying to understand and, and pull that stuff together for sure. Um, so yeah, the, it, it's humbling to watch yourself for sure. <laughs> yeah. Now, now that I think about it, you know, I, I used to do a lot of video recording when I was skateboarding. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. And I think that that sort of just naturally carried over to doing yeah. video recording with exercises. So. Oh, isn't that funny? Well, my, my nine-year-old, um, and this is what you have coming. Um, she wants to be a YouTube star. And yeah. so I have to explain to her why it's okay if mommy does this. Yeah. <laughs> but no, not okay if the nine-year-old does this. <laughs> She's learning from you. Yeah, she she's got the whole uh, click like or follow me or like she's got the whole thing going on. <laughs> it's really funny. I should put her to work. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's funny, too. I was just while I was waiting for you, I was scrolling through. Um, I did army 10 miler on Sunday and I was scrolling through the pictures and pictures do not lie. And I'm yeah. very well aware of where my training and lack thereof in certain places would not like I, it, I'm very clear on where I I miss some things and, and kind of need to fill in that gap. But I, I think, you know, getting people to appreciate how they run and, you know, where, you know, kind of what it feels like in their body compared to what it looks like kind of objectively is just so important. Um, but I think also one of the things that you do really well and you did with your cinder block series is just start to introduce the concept of adding resistance mm -hmm. to exercise and most runners that's very foreign or to add a little light weight or something like that those of us that you know have gone into the olympic lifting space like it's it's normal it's wonderful i it's one of the best things for my hip ever but how do you start to introduce to somebody gosh you know you're at a point now where we need to start to add some resistance to challenge your system yeah i mean i think it's always uh, on a case-by-case -case basis um so i just I think a lot of the times part of the power of showing these videos that I'm putting out online is that people see me doing it. Yeah. Um, so it already starts to demystify it uh, or make it a little bit more approachable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that when I audit people's programs, because I'm out of network, people aren't going to come to see me as a first line of defense unless they've worked with me in the past. Right. Um, but in the vast majority of cases, folks are underloading. They're resorting to just body weight exercises. Right. And that's that may be a stimulus early on, but it's simply not going to get it done in time. But what, what happens is when you start loading people, they're like, wow, I feel a lot better. And that's right. especially the case with I work with a lot of um, endurance athletes dealing with lower limb tendinopathy. Yes. And if someone's not saying that after the session, you probably underloaded them. Yeah. And it, it depends on where they are on the, on the continuum. If we are sticking with discussing things in that light. Um, but I, I also think there's a psychological benefit when people start lifting heavier things, it starts to tap into their alter ego. Um, but I think that, I, I, I think we're making a shift of like, okay, I need to lift in, but the pendulum has swung too far to the other direction Heavy, slow resistance, very important. But with running, we have to remember, this is about rate of force development. So you get strong, but don't just keep lifting heavy all the time because it's right. probably 
detracting from your running. Um, so once you have that, that uh, foundation of strength, you know, doing a lot of tempo stuff like two, zero, two, three, zero, three, where it's like two to three seconds on the way down two to three yep. seconds on the way up, then you're using that to base as a vehicle to better express rate of force development, um, which can be accomplished through something as simple as jumping rope, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that we're headed in the right direction, but there's a lot that's getting lost in translation. Um, so it's, it's funny if you look back and I think we've, we've been in physio about the same amount of time is, um, just, it's, it's just been so much more accepted to lift heavier weights. Um, and, and, you know, back in, I would say like 2013, there was this huge, toxic rift between PT and like CrossFit and especially in the pelvic health realm where they're, you know, it's okay when you leak, when you lift and all that kind of stuff. And we're, we're sort of reconciling now. Um, but how do you kind of help someone figure out what's heavy enough? Um, but, but I, I was thinking about this morning, I have a, um, another mom that I work out with and, and on deadlift day, we're about the same. And this morning we were starting at, it was prescribed 50% of our one rep max. And both of us are like, uh, that was really light, but then the reps went up and we're like, okay, why is that feeling heavier than it should? But it's, it's so funny when you get to play with the variance. Like, I think there's such a benefit to that and not just go for the one rep max every time, which I think stereotypically is where people think they have to go. How do you help people sort of find that first comfortable spot? Uh, yeah, you have to anchor it. You know? and, and I think this is what a lot of people don't do. And so when people consult me, my, my primary responsibility is to say, okay, where's this person coming from? And then during that session to say, what is point A? All right. So when we talk about anchoring, if we're going to give them a, an exercise like a goblet squat or a rear foot elevated split squat with someone who's trained, that's coming. So say if like you know, you have someone who's a D1, former D1 athlete, they've spent mm -hmm. time in the weight room. You know, you could say, hey, I want you to pick a heavyweight and I want you to pick a lightweight. And I want you to pick a weight. So if we say heavy, a weight that you can confidently get five to six reps, assuming precautions, mm. contraindications, do those. Let me see. Because what happens if that person is able to do 10? Well, it's probably telling you that you need to, they can tolerate a little bit more yep. load. A great example of this. So I'm speaking at the uh, Washington PT conference this weekend. I'm mastering the Jerry athlete with my, uh -huh. my good friend, Joel Satgast. And one of the first images I'm going to put up is this guy who I've helped, who is, uh, I think he's 80 years old now and he's an Ironman. And this guy is so impressive. But when he originally connected with me, you know, we were taking him through an anchoring process because he said, yeah, I use a, uh, I do some squats and I'm like, awesome. You're ahead of most people. You know, yeah. what kind of, what kind of way are you doing? You know, what, what are the sets and reps rest time? And, uh, and he said, well, I'm using a, a 20 pound dumbbell. I'm thinking 20 pounds like, okay, cool. You know? And I'm like, well, how many, how many sets and reps are you doing? He said, oh, I do three sets of 10. Great. Assuming you're going off the, the way it was originally described by Dr. Thomas DeLorme, which <laughs> <laughs> So he started, I said, okay, I want to see how many reps you can do with this weight just to get a lens into yeah. your abilities. So he grabbed the 20 pounds and we're at like 45 reps later. And I'm like, Dale, this isn't going to cut it. Like it, not to say it's a waste of time, but I want you to, to be more efficient and we can create a, a stimulus yeah. for you. So, you know, we ended up leaving him with a 45 pound dumbbell during that first session. And he, he could have tolerated more. But he was able to get 15 clean reps, 202 tempo. Um, and I think that was really eye opening for him. And he also realized that, like, hey, I'm at the right place. Like, that made a lot of sense to me. He's not a dumb gotcha. guy. Yeah. yeah. So, so, if you have someone, I love just saying, hey, pick a weight that you can confidently get five, pick a weight that you can confidently get 15, and you're going to learn a lot. Because I think if most people are doing, um, strength training or resistance training where they're working between five to 15 reps, a whole hell of a lot of good is going to happen. Yeah, no, I, th I think so too. It's, it's funny when, um, when I have clients come in, they'll mention weights and, and I do think there's a, a difference in kind of perception of weightlifting between men and women, but, um, 
I have to ask the clarifying question. I'm like, do you mean five pound weights? Do you mean 300 pound deadlift? Like where, where are we on this so that I know where you're at? And there's um, such a hesitancy for so many women, unless they're in like the Olympic lifting space to go heavier. And I remember the first time I, I deadlifted, I was like, Oh my God, I did 75 pounds, which is like such a joke now, you know, but like, the first thing I think you kind of have to wrap your head around is like kind of what you said, like, where do you think is comfortable and what your capacity is? Cause I see women walk in here. I'm like, I can just tell you're just so much stronger than what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And they settle for that, you know, three sets of 10 or where it's comfortable. And it's a very new mindset unless they have a history of being in the weight room of going up a little bit more. And I, I try and sell it like this. I'm like, look, we're just prepping for, you know, menopause induced osteoporosis. We're just getting ahead of the game, getting you comfortable with the idea. Like we're, 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 we're getting ahead on that. But I think there's so many providers that go into pelvic health that don't have that comfort level with weight training. And so figuring out where to start and being okay that it might be more than 10 pounds, but also having the equipment to be able to back it up too. Like we were more than three pound dumbbells at this point. So <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a, so important. It's, yes. I always, I always laugh, you know, when patients uh, sync up with me. So I see people out of my residence and uh, sometimes they may cross paths with my, with my partner, wife, Mimi, and uh, I'll get them doing a farmer's carry. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, you know, what's a weight that you could comfortably march out for say 45 seconds. And they're like, yeah, maybe I'll grab the twenties. And this is someone who, you know, skeletally mature adult that, yeah. Uh, you know, I would think would be able to handle a little bit more. And uh, I'm like, 20s, that's interesting. You know, how much do you use? I'm like, well, I don't want to make you feel bad, but, you know, my wife who you just met, she's doing more than double that. Ah, so then they go up. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, again, just coming back to this theme of underloading. um, Yeah. You know, it's a problem. And I I think in, in patient care, I think sometimes maybe you're afraid to put down this person was actually lifting heavier weight because yeah. the insurance company may see that and say, Oh, if this person can lift that amount of weight, why do they need to be in PT? So yeah, it's, it's a tricky thing, but you know, we have to do what we believe is in that person's best interest. Yeah. It's funny you say that I've, I've been out on my own almost five years now. So I, that, that didn't even occur to me, but even just thinking about the, like the last clinical space I was in, in a hospital, like we, didn't have that kind of weight. They were just starting to introduce that. Um, and, and, you know, it, to your point, like it, it shouldn't necessarily matter. We're still trying to achieve those goals. Um, so for, for you, like you, you said, you've got your, your, your 10 favorite that you use the most. I mean, what are the, the moms? We don't have time. You know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you probably don't either. <laughs> as a dad. Like what are some of the three, like, give me three exercises that you're like, okay, most bang for your buck. Great for, you know, a bunch of different things, knowing that there's a lot of variables and it depends and that kind of stuff. But like, what are three things that you find yourself prescribing super often that could be really easy things for, for moms to start to pick up if they're running and they're not having symptoms? Squat, carry, lateral toe tap straight away. Ooh, unpack that one. Unpack it. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely hammer the women I work with. Um, and I should take a step back. And I was presenting one time at um, Sarah Haig and Sandy Hilton's. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yep. Entropy. I don't, I don't know if it's still, um, if they're still running that business, but they're great. They're, uh, you know, they're OGs in terms of like public, oh, yeah. uh, public domain and very sweet and just down earth people. So, but, you know, Sandy, she's a trip. She pulled me aside yes. uh, after she started, you know, she, she sat in on both days and she said, Chris, you realize all these exercises you give are pelvic floor exercises. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, a lot of that, I, I think what she was alluding to, it was sort of a little bit tighter arcs of motion, slow rhythmic movement. And she's like, yeah. that's really powerful stuff early on. She was saying the lateral toe taps where you're like drawing that leg out to the side. She said that may be a little bit more challenging and reintroduce it a little bit later. But so the reason I love those exercises we all have to carry stuff. And I got, I started doing a lot of carries after um, speaking, hanging out with Dan, John, reading his work. 
but for runners, I started turning it into a farmer's march. And yes. what I realized is it it's all about basically foot and ankle um, control as well as having just intrinsic foot strength, but lumbo pelvic hip control. Mm-hmm. And and that seems like um, since I've been challenging a lot of the women I work with, I literally could, I feel like I could just give a lot of these women carry farmer marches or right. carries using that variation and it does wonders. Um, so I love that because it's getting someone upright onto one leg. Yep. They're having to control their breathing. It's tra- challenging uh, upper body capacity. You know, I see my wife carrying stuff all the time, whether she's kids, groceries. You want one trip. <laughs> you know, so, um, and, and that's great to challenge the lateral hip musculature too. Um, the, the band resisted toe taps. I love those assuming you're using a heavy band, you know, so I love yeah. the series steel band, which is a cloth band. It's maybe, yep. I don't know, it's the 13 inch circumference one. Um, where I put someone essentially in mid stance where they're like, you know, around 30 degrees of bend in the knee and they're doing lateral toe taps out to the side. Again, mm. checks a lot of boxes between, um, it challenges a quad a little bit, but again, it's challenging the lateral hip musculature. Um, and I think any good program should be premised around a squat or a deadlift. I mean, these yeah. are just fundamental human movements. Um, so, I mean, if you're, if you're doing those three things, um, and if someone's running, obviously challenge their calf muscle comp- complex. Um, but that checks so many boxes. Yeah. It's simple. People, they have a visual of what it is you're asking them to do um, with, uh, at least with the squats and um, the toe taps. The carries are deceptive. I, I think people, they're not used to doing those. Grip strength can be a challenge. Yes. Um, if that's an issue, just throw a weighted vest on someone. You could use right. uh, even like a safety squat bar if someone has access to those. Yep. Uh, but I also find that challenging grip strength is really important, you know, considering it's associated with mortality. Yeah, t- totally. I mean, I, I love those things that you can kind of hit a bunch of different areas, but are so incredibly functional because, again, moms are trying to carry all the things all at once. Um I, I I think with the the guidelines that came out as far as return to run readiness with moms, it just it gave us a way to look beyond the pelvic floor. Some of the things that you're talking about, like hip strength, core strength, quad strength, with just like a wall sit or something. Um, I was talking to Rich Willie about that, and um, he was talking about kind of looking at men versus women in the military, and quad strength is one of those um, indicators of 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 strength, kind of how important that is to just kind of check that box. Um, but again, also balance, balance gets thrown off. I mean, I, I had a lot of um, like vestibular dizziness issues after my kids. And so you put a mom in single leg stance and they're fine. You ask them to close their eyes and then they just are a wreck and a half. Not that you're asking them to, to go run in the dark, but these are the systems that your vision is making up for it. And, you know, with foot changes, I, you know, I don't know if your wife went through, you know, a a whole different shoe wardrobe after your kids, but like people don't realize, you know, your, your, your feet get weaker, your, your ankles get, you know, a little bit changed the balance, all that stuff. There's so many different things and systems that just get impacted that just to look at the pelvis is not, you're just missing the boat. And that's why I, 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 I think I've been drawn to kind of voices like yours that we've had to look at return to run after injury through another lens, because that's the only place that we had data was, you know, to look at, you know, return to run after tendinopathies or bone stress injuries or things like that, because that was the closest thing to kind of managing impact and load and stuff like that, that we could come up with that was sort of parallel. Um, but I, I love, I love adding load that like farmer's carries are so hard. I don't think people realize like 35 pound kettlebells are tough. <laughs> yeah. And they're, but it's also a great exercise because I think people are more willing to broach it because if you, yeah. if you can't handle the weight, you just put it down or drop it if right. you're uh, rubber matting. So yep. you're not going to get trapped under a bar and, you know, right. when you have someone like Dan John with his background and expertise as an athlete and coach, you know, essentially say that loaded carries were the single most important thing. You know, when you hear him attach those words to describing uh, carry, okay. and when you see it on the cover of his book, you start to realize 
these There's must really to this. Yeah. yeah. And, and to take a, just a step back, you made a really good point. People don't tend to focus on a lot of balance and single leg drills. And I'm not saying you should do those to the exclusion of double leg. I think a good mm-hmm. program blends single leg, double leg yep. um, exercises, but um, you can't just do a bunch of strength work and assume it's going to carry over to balance. The research right. does not support that. That's another yep. major learning from putting to, uh, this talk together for the Jerry athlete um, presentation is you have to challenge single leg. You have to, yeah. to do balance exercises. And, um, and I also think that we need to really emphasize when we're doing resistance training, whether it's balance, you know, even just compound movements to move with grace and fluidity. I mean, yeah. John Keeley's paper on smoothness is awesome. If people want to just want to have an entertaining read where they come away with a lot of just great insight and um, takeaways, but you know, that's the thing that I try to emphasize because what I notice is when people are injured, when they start to get um, older, you know, hitting their 60s, yeah. 70s, 80s, you start to see more jerk in the movements and they, mm. the, that smoothness starts, starts to become a fleeting issue and, um, you know, ultimately results are manifest in falls and things that really put people in a downward spiral. So, yeah. you know, when I put these videos out, I'm not trying to say, Hey, you know, you need to be perfect, but I, I do want there to, I want there to be this emphasis, emphasis on smoothness and precision because I, I firmly believe that matters. And when yeah. you were talking about pelvic floor, there's a rhythm and timing to running yeah. and it's obvious when someone hasn't restored that. Yeah. It, I, I was just thinking that, you know, a lot of us going back those first few runs, you, and sometimes even longer, you don't have that quickness feel. You do feel very heavy and plodding. And, you know, how does that translate over into impact management and things like that? You want to have that quickness, that vibrancy that you had when you were younger. <laughs> That's something that I think women struggle to try and find, especially when they're in a new body that they maybe don't recognize anymore or they're dealing with more weight that didn't come off as quickly as they planned or not feeling as strong. I think that probably comes up a bit. Um, for you, like, do you, are there any big issues or, or um, delineations you see between working with males and females? Um, are there any primary issues that you see more often working with, with women um, runners? I, I, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like Someone needs to write a, a textbook on that. Um, <laughs> Not I, it. <laughs> find, I find myself helping men to avoid making dumb decisions. Okay. You know? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> You're a smart guy. And <laughs> in, in I'll say that the, the women who I've worked with, and again, this is anecdotal, but mm. they respond to a lot of the drills that we were talking about. So yeah. really challenging um, the lumbopelvic hip complex. Um, yeah. You know, Cause I, I found that when I was working in New York, I'd work with a lot of these um, young moms and that's when I really started appreciating the role of compressive forces, especially on the mm. lap because I would have all of these moms coming in and they get diagnosed with trochanteric bursitis. Right. And yep. they get an injection and sometimes it would flare them up. Most times it wouldn't do much beyond that. Um, and I started noticing that if I kept them out of those compressive forces and really started them to, to have control about that lumbopelvic hip complex, whether it was avoiding like shearing in the low back from overarching, sort right. of hang, hanging on their hip, you know, like this. Yep. Which is where we put our kids all the time. <laughs> yeah. So I think doing things to break those patterns go a long yeah. way, especially if you're working, um, with postpartum patients. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And like you said, be patient, be forgiving of yourself. Um, my, my wife's second, uh, birth, very challenging, you know, um, and she, you know, she's doing great now, but you know, it took her a while to recover from that. Yeah. You know? Um, so I won't get, get into too many details. No, I, I, I get you. Yeah, no, but I, yeah. I think it's, it's, you know, I, I, you know, with, um, uh, I'm blanking on her name who won Kona, 
on Friday. Um, she's got an 18 month old. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, Chelsea. Right. Um, I think, I think that's also something, you know, we're trying to reconcile as moms is, you know, we are seeing these examples, more examples now of elite moms in running in sport in general, performing at such a high level, but we're also forgetting that that's their actual day job. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, they're paid to do this job and to, to have people around them. And so just trying to get good resources so people can get back to what they enjoy doing, but at the same time, to your point, not do anything too stupid, but also not feel afraid um, that they're going to mess something up or, or, or whatnot. Um, Cause it, you don't have to be back in a leap, but let's, let's definitely go in the right direction. So we're running, you know, like your 80 year old client, we want to, we want to be that person. We do. <laughs> yeah. So I think part of it's, you know, just affording healing time frames yeah. and then having certain benchmarks or yeah. boxes that you're checking to say, Hey, here, here's where you are. Here's where we want you to be before we, yeah you back into running because the last thing we want to do is plug you back in you have a relapse because we didn't completely rehab you or yes you think for the best of our abilities and i i think that's just a theme in general it's like we see the same thing you know with um people after acl surgery it's like yeah wanna, who's gonna follow the accelerated program to get back it's like no there should be benchmarks that we're hitting yeah. we know you know certain biologic healing time frames in terms of graph strength, you know, but I think that just to be patient um, and make sure that you're checking boxes as you're going through the process. Yep. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I do the same thing. Um, we always talk about, you know, whether you had C-section or tearing or things like that, there's, I can't make time go faster. And this is, you know, how long it's going to take that to heal. But also when we do get to the point where, you know, we might have sufficient enough strength or balance or impact management to start running, one of the things I love to do is, um, you know, if we start a walk run program, I'm going to have them do that same ratio, three different sessions. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we do that is I'm like, I want to undershoot. I do mm -hmm. not want to overshoot because if I overshoot and you become symptomatic, now you've gone down that rabbit hole and I've got to walk you back from the cliff and we've got to deal with all that fear and catastrophization and all of that. And, and, and like, if we do it a couple different times, it's not only going to buy you time in that task, it's going to buy you confidence that you've got this and that this is going to be okay and kind of normalize how everything's feeling and that you can take those steps forward. But again, I think so many of those concepts probably come from, um, they're just return after injury sorts of things. And, and, you know, it's not anything that's rocket science or new, but it's pulling those concepts from sports and orthopedics and pulling it over into kind of what we're doing in, in pelvic health. And, and again, I, I think that's so important for people that that's not something that they were kind of brought into with this to understand. And also for clients to understand, we got a process, we have a method, we have to your point, those benchmarks. And we want to make sure that we do this right the first time and, and don't just throw y'all in and see what happens. Because <laughs> that never turns out well. <laughs> yeah, and it requires a tremendous oversight, you know, and yeah. communication. I think that's, I feel spoiled because of the, the capacity that I work in. But, you know, yeah. I have just incredible communication lines with people. And I think you brought up a good point, too. It's, set people up for success, throw them softballs, success yes. breeds success. So, you know, if you start them off a little bit more conservatively, you're going to get yep. them into a groove. It's like, yeah, if you, you know, end up uh, overshooting things, you're going to sensitize, you're going to sensitize, uh, insert tissue here, and then yep. you're going to have to backpedal. And then the person's going to have lost a little bit of trust in you or yep. be a little bit more reluctant. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah, and it, it's, it's one of those things too. Like I, 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 this is all what my kids taught me and not a single thing I ever learned in PT school was to not have the, you know, the CVS length list of exercises. I'm like, if again, like after my, my hip surgery, I remember I could run pain-free if I did this like 45 minute warm up. And I remember thinking, I'm like, I ain't going to do this. There's no way. And I didn't have kids at the time. And so if I'm not going to do it, how can I ask you to do it? And 
I'm going to go run no matter what. So why don't we make it down and dirty and simple and it doesn't have to be crazy complicated and, you know, we can got, kind of go low hanging fruit. But I don't know, sometimes in our profession, I feel like people love that <laughs> they love to make it super complicated and my brain just doesn't work that way. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, most of the home programs, if, if, um, if you were working with me, you'd get maybe two to four exercises. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's doable. It's doable. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, if people want to learn more about you and your programs and you just launched, um, run well, tell us a little bit about, about that. Yeah. So run well has been, uh, we were talking before the, the call here, it sort of came together very serendipitously. Um, I had a, a fellow Michael Henry reach out to me and uh, was just dealing with some knee complaints after a failed lateral release procedure when he was in high school, he's late twenties right now. And when I was talking to him, he had just lost confidence in his knee and he's a, he's an active outdoor dude. You know, he loves to rock climb. He wants to trail run mountain bike, surf, you name it. And, um, and he was just dealing with this recalcitrant knee pain. He'd deal with very, he'll, he'd deal with varying uh, degrees of swelling or a knee effusion. And, uh, yeah, so he was sort of at wit's end, and he reached out, and I'm like, oh, man, we'll get you squared away. He ended up coming out to Seattle, and uh, essentially through helping him address his knee issues, Runwell was essentially born. And, you know, we feel like people should essentially become their own running coach, and they should learn just critical information. It, it's not rocket science to put them on a path to enjoy a lifetime of healthy running. Yeah. I think since the pandemic, you know, I think, yeah, there are definitely people who want to race, but I think there are a lot of people who have realized that running is a glue that holds their life together. And when their running's going well, geez, life sure seems to flow. So our goal is to basically take a lot of what the research community has put out. And, you know, I love synthesizing that and then just packaging it. So it's actionable. Um, so that's sort of what Runwell is. And it's basically teaching people simple things about footwear, setting up your training schedule, understanding why you should be using rating of perceived exertion and duration, not mileage and pace to guide yes. a lot of you. To understand what goes into a sensible running schedule over the course of a week. How do you incorporate that with resistance training where it keeps you on the right side of the fence, but creates a meaningful stimulus to sort of just sort of fortify your musculoskeletal system. And then we have half marathon and full marathon training plans. We teach people how to, you know, to determine if they're a candidate for cadence or step rate retraining. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, and it's interesting. I mean, we, we've done a lot of behind the scenes work and, um, you know, so Runwell uh, is it's out. People can sign up for it. If you just go to runwell.com, um, we got that URL from the winner of season 16 of The Bachelorette, Zach Clark. What? So we've, gotten tied, we've gotten tangled up with him and his uh, Release Recovery Foundation. Oh, my goodness. Stuff up. Like, we'll write a book on it at some point. But, um, yeah. We, <laughs> That's we awesome. Of, we see just a lot of runners working with misinformation. And I've yeah. always wanted to birth something big. And. You know, so we've taken a lot of my clinical and coaching work and combined Michael's a very design inclined dude um, who's great with user experience. And we blended those two things together. And we just want to make this an awesome experience for people to take. I love that. I, so, so somebody essentially can can go into this membership and they have you in their back pocket for some of the most basic things from, you know, a return to or getting back to marathoning or something to, hey, what cadence should I be at? I love that. Um, yeah, and the community is a big part of it too. Because, awesome. um, yeah, so you know, we can't give medical advice through that for obvious reasons. But you know, if someone's like, "Hey, I'm dealing with a lot of, you know, I'm out trail running, I'm dealing with ITV pain," you know, what can I do? I'm like, "Well, hey, first off, you're in Portland. Go see Matt Walsh." Right. Uh, yeah. You know, by the way, you know, so if you're going to try and shift the loads away from the knee. You know, you'd probably want to keep things on level ground, gently rolling terrain. Cadence may play an important role for you if you have a low step rate. Um, You know, there's some considerations uh, around exercises, understanding like, you know, 
maybe you need to avoid that 30 degree bend in the knee or like what we think of as that impingement zone for the lateral knee. Um, so yeah, it's stuff like that because, you know, I don't think people want to enter the medical system. You know? um, I, you, I think, yeah. I think this is why I kind of, I, I sort of resonate with you because I think there's so much we have to offer as physios in education that we can provide that may not be direct medical advice because you're right in front of me, but I do think that there's so much that we have to offer and we've got to be in, inventive um, in, uh, and innovative in how we share that um, and provide different levels of access to maybe somebody that they can't be right here in your you know, home office or my clinic, but they sure as heck can learn from your social media or run well or things like that. And there's so much that they can take from that. Um, but then also, I love that you basically are like the interpreter between the research and, and like, how do we make this actionable? Because I, I, I absolutely love that because sometimes there's a little interpretation that has to occur and how do you know, and how do we kick it back to our researchers too and say, all right, well now answer this question for me. So I think those things, that's, that's why I I've secretly stalked you for a long time. <laughs> so I just, I, I, I love how you think. I love how you put the things simply out into the universe and you're just so incredibly generous with, with your information and, and kind of your thoughts and um, just appreciate that, that you're doing all this um, to kind of help that running community. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Awesome. I just, um, you know, what we were just talking about and what happens if you were going through something like ITV pain, right? Yeah. And, um, and you didn't know where to turn and suddenly yeah. you had someone say, hey, downhill running is going to create, you know, perhaps a strike against you if this is irritable right now. Hey, go read this two part series that Rich Willie did. And hey, by the way, if you're in Portland, here are three people to reach exactly, out. Exactly, exactly. The the healing and the ther the therapeutic element has already started because now you have resources, you have a plan, yeah. you have trusted people that are going to take totally. the situation. Totally. And yeah, I mean that's. I think people let this stuff fester and it creates anxiety and it just yeah. If anything, gets in the way of the body doing its thing. Well, welcome to postpartum. <laughs> I get at least one or two DMs a day from like other side of the world. My first thing, I'm like, who can I find for you? Where can I point you in the right direction? Like, and they're so thankful. And I think that's the thing too. like, put yourself in that, that space. Like, what would it feel like for somebody to hand you trusted information and resources and whatnot? And as opposed to picking up the phone and calling your GP that you know is going to turn into, you know, a multi-week wait, and then they're going to refer you to somebody else. And, and meanwhile, they're going to tell you to stop doing everything. So um, I love that it's actionable. It's good information. It's it's evidence-informed. And it's it's about keeping people active. So thank you. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much, Carrie. And uh, yeah, it's good to see you uh just being a lot more active and I mean, putting this pod podcast together and uh, I've been getting more emails from you, which is. Uh, oh, yay. <laughs> awesome. So if you ever have questions or uh, want to bounce ideas off me. Oh, uh, I will. Do don't you worry. <laughs> Thanks again. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Did you enjoy the podcast? If so, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell a friend to do the same. Register now for the free on-demand postpartum mama masterclass how to overcome the three most common return to run mistakes. You can skip to the good part and get back to running while missing these mistakes. Find this and more free resources under the patient section on carriepagliano.com. This podcast represents the opinions of Dr. Carrie Pagliano and her guests to the show. The content should not be taken as medical advice and is for entertainment purposes only. Always consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.